0: In this episode of the podcast, we're speaking with newly elected president of the PAA, Robin Ricks. Robin has been involved on the committee of the PAA for the past three years in her role as treasurer on the back of her career previous to Pilates in the financial services industry as an actuary and involved in a range of areas of business management. Robin holds a Bachelor of Arts in Architecture alongside her Diploma of Professional Pilates Instruction from here in Australia and is a second-generation Pilates instructor and trainer from the Pilates Master Mentor Program with Lolita San Miguel out of Florida. Robin owns and teaches from her studio Pilates Works on the lower north shore of Sydney. One of the goals of this podcast is to expand the conversation around the contribution the PAA aims to make to the Pilates industry so, I'm very much looking forward to discussing with Robin her aspirations in her role as president in working towards seeing the Pilates industry improve as a professional, cohesive, and supportive community that brings the joys and benefits of Pilates to as many people as possible. Robin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bruce. Robin, could you give us an overview of your personal background? It's an interesting fork in the road coming from financial services into the Pilates industry.
1: Bruce, I'd start by saying that I feel like I'm a really lucky person. I was one of six children and I grew up on a farm in Queensland. And whilst my childhood was pretty tough, my parents were not very well off. I think it actually taught me a lot of things about being part of a community, sharing in a big family like that. I moved to Sydney when I was 17 to do actuarial studies because it wasn't available in Queensland. I spent a few years working for a couple of different companies. The last company I worked for, they moved us around. They didn't ever want us to get comfortable in our jobs. And so I got to experience a whole heap of different roles in the company, administration, HR, investments, marketing. People thought it was a bit weird when they put an actuary in charge of HR because actuaries traditionally don't have any people skills. So that was quite interesting. I then took some time out. I have two children, two boys. My oldest son is on the autism spectrum. So I decided that I wanted to take a break from the corporate world and spend some time with him. After a little bit, I decided that I wanted to do a Bachelor of Architecture. It was something that had always been a passion of mine. And so I decided to go back to uni in 2004. In my last semester of that degree, I was misdiagnosed with a tumour on my liver and told that I had less than a year to live. It puts your life in perspective, would be my explanation of what happens when you get news like that. For the next year, I thought I'm going to take some time out. I needed to do my master's in architecture. And so I thought I'd just take a break from that. About halfway through that first year of taking a break, I got bored. I'd been doing Pilates at a gym for probably five or six years. And I thought there must be more to this Pilates business than what I've experienced in the gym. So I decided to go and do the diploma of professional Pilates instruction. And I only really did it because I was curious, not because I really intended to work in the area. But once I started teaching, I loved it so much that I couldn't not do it as a job. One of my very first clients was a prison guard who had been having headaches two or three a week for as long as he could remember, 20 years or so. And after about six weeks of Pilates, his headaches had completely gone away. So I thought this is not something that I can walk away from. Just incredible results that I was seeing with clients made me
0: think, I have to keep doing this. And that was 13 years ago. And it's been a fun journey ever since, no doubt. Absolutely. Robin, can you share with us what it was that initially had you put your hand up to come onto the board of the PAA?
1: Sharon Simmons, who was stepping up to be president, approached me three years ago and asked me if I would consider being on the board she sold it to me as being a lot of fun. I was incredibly sceptical about that. I had been on boards before and mostly a lot of them are pretty tedious, but she was right. It's been three years and it only feels like about a year because I have really enjoyed the time that I spent as a treasurer. Then when she asked me if I was interested in taking on the presidency role, I agreed to that because I did feel like I had a contribution to make and she'd done an amazing job and I
0: really wanted to continue her work on the board. Robert, I'm sure many of the members of the PAA would love to understand more about the strengths you'll be bringing to the presidency role. Can you expand a little on these for us?
1: Apart from the fact I've got some pretty diverse experience in business, I feel like I have contacts with a lot of people. So if ever I need help on anything, I know where to go and start asking for help. The other thing is that I have a lot of ideas and I always warn people when they first start working with me that I have ideas all the time. A lot of them are probably not going to work, but some of them will. And I find that if I put an idea out there, then someone will maybe take that idea and go, that idea mightn't be great, but we could build on it in this way. Every day I have one or two ideas. My ex-husband always goes, no, not another idea. But I do think it's better to have more ideas than
0: fewer ideas. It sounds like there's no shortage of creativity in your Pilates classes when you've got a couple of amazing ideas on a daily basis.
1: Hopefully, I'll run a class for members sometime soon, and we can share some of my ideas on different things that you can do. At the same time, I also have a lot of compassion for people. I run my own business. I have a studio in North Sydney with a couple of staff who are amazing, so they have a good understanding of what it means to be a Pilates instructor and also what it means to run a Pilates
0: business. And the willingness to hear new ideas? is a huge opportunity for members of the PAA to reach out to you. And it's a big part of the podcast to make the committee as accessible as possible, to float your ideas and being hugely receptive to what the members are requiring of the PAA.
1: It's one of the things that I have been thinking about quite a bit. How do we ensure that the committee is getting sufficient feedback, whether we need an electronic suggestion box for people to drop in ideas? Already I've had a few phone calls. One person rang me upset about something and we managed to find a solution to a problem that they thought was intractable. I do want to hear from people. If you want to ring me or email me on robin at
0: pilates.org.au, I am always really happy to talk to people. I think that's a big part of continuing to expand the PAA and the conversation around Pilates to get industry support that makes a real difference to what is happening in and out of many studios. It's been a tough time for a lot of people. That's for sure. I think you win understatement of the week with that comment. Robin, I often find there's a significant driver or a mission behind the leaders who take on roles such as the presidency that you've just stepped into. Can you tell us about your personal mission and motivations in this role?
1: I've always felt it's important to have your own personal mission statement, and then it makes it easier to make decisions about what you do and don't do. It used to be, when I was in the corporate world, to be successful, but never at the expense of another person. And I think I saw plenty of people who didn't live by anything like that mission. And I think as a woman, at the time that I was coming up through management ranks, women were very uncommon. And a lot of the women had bad reputations for stepping on people in order to get places. I was very determined that I not be one of those people. I since then have changed my mission statement. So now it is that I would like for 95% of people who have contact with me for their lives to be better. Clearly, being a Pilates instructor. I get to do that a lot. You might wonder why it's 95%, not 100 That's because there are 5% of the population who you're never going to make happy. And I'm not going to kill myself trying to convince those people of something that they're never going to be convinced of.
0: Robin, no doubt there's a range of matters in the Pilates industry you'd like to see addressed in your time as president. Can you share with us what's at the top of the list for you?
1: I think there's a lot of things on my list that I really want to do. One of the things that I would like is for the association to be more inclusive rather than less inclusive. There has been feedback about the fact that we opened up our membership categories. First of all, at the moment in Australia, we have no registered training organisations who train the classical method. From my point of view, it's unfortunate that we don't have anyone who's in that situation, but it does mean that we need to recognise those people who do run classical programs because it is such an intrinsic part of who we are that people who teach the way that Joseph Pilates taught need to be included in our organisation. So that was one of the reasons why we had to expand our membership.
0: Can you just detail that for a moment, Robin, to clarify this specific detail for the members and listeners of the podcast? What I'm hearing is that the original Joseph Pilates lineage, if we use that word related to classical Pilates or authentic Pilates or original Pilates, that hasn't married up with the educational standards that stand up in the Australian curriculum infrastructure in a way that original Pilates isn't being taught at diploma level currently. And all of the providers of diploma level and advanced diploma level and even certificate four level training may be considered as contemporary Pilates rather than classical Pilates. Am I on the right track with my thinking there? And therefore, I completely understand the angle you're coming from, that those two need to be married up in a really important way.
1: The difficulty is that becoming a registered training organisation is a massive undertaking. It's expensive to do it and it takes a lot of time and the ongoing compliance. So I can understand why people choose not to go down that road and I do really appreciate the people who do become registered training organisations, but we still have to honour that history and those people who are training the way that Joseph Pilates taught.
0: And your participation in that is your time with Lolita San Miguel, training with her in Florida.
1: Yeah, Lolita, amazing person. If anyone wants to read her book that she's just released, it's a very interesting reading. She was reasonably contemporary in her work. So I wouldn't say that I've had that much exposure to the classical work. I guess the other issue for me is that when we look at programs for people to become Pilates instructors, we have a set of criteria that the courses have to meet. It's not sufficient to just be a registered training organisation. Because some of the registered training organisations don't meet our criteria, but some of the courses who are not a registered training organisation do.
0: I find that point in particular fascinating because what we're speaking of here, I think, is the importance of the alignment to what it is that actually makes Pilates special. The essence of Pilates must be addressed. And that's what I think the importance of the PAA's role in this peak body position really has to uphold beyond just the fact that it's well-structured, it's got a classroom format, it's got X, Y, and Z that satisfies education requirements from the government, who, with all due respect, don't actually know the importance of what makes a great Pilates coursework structure. And I think the PAA holds this really important central point of view. Am I on the right thinking there?
1: When you're asking originally what are my goals, at the moment ASQA who certify registered training organisations do not come to us and ask us what our standards are and that's something that I'd really like to change because I think here we are setting standards, they're approving Pilates courses and there's no dialogue between us and that makes no sense to me.
0: That would be an amazing relationship to help foster and to bridge that gap. I think it would ultimately assist consumers with a lot more clarity around what they're actually getting trained in.
1: The other thing I'd like to go back to is when we expanded our membership levels, one of the reasons for doing that was that we were hoping to bring people into the Pilates fold who could like to get more education. My situation where I was doing gym Pilates and then I wanted to learn more and decided to then do the course So by expanding our membership levels, one of the things is we will have people who don't have diplomas who will be members of the association, and then we can show them what other programs there are. So the intention is that we will bring more clients to our existing training bodies to help them upskill people who may be dabbled in Pilates, but haven't gone the full studio route.
0: It's an interesting spectrum to try and deal with, I think, as the peak body in the PAA to deal with the varying degrees of which people choose to dive into the depths of Pilates. The highest qualifications, the advanced diploma in Australia, but also there's some extensive apprenticeship-based classical training courses that are up there as well. And then potentially you could consider just a one- or two-day feeder course or taster course in many ways. So to deal with that full spectrum, I think it's a great thing for the PAA to address.
1: Yeah. And we're a small profession. The estimate is that there's 9,000 Pilates and yoga teachers in Australia. We don't actually know the split between the two, but I would say we're about a third who call themselves Pilates instructors. So we're a small industry.
0: A small but passionate industry with lots of great work to be done to help the community. Correct. Robin, one of the most common frustrations I hear amongst industry colleagues that I'm in contact with is the fragmented nature of the Pilates industry bodies. I'm going to assert that this is something that you certainly find frustrating also. Can you speak to how you feel this can be addressed with more coherence amongst the range of factors that currently influence the Pilates industry?
1: As I mentioned, we're a small industry and I find it amazing that we have two industry bodies. If ever I talk to anyone outside our industry, they just go, that's completely crazy. The amount of duplication of work by doing that, to me, it's just a complete waste of time for two organisations to run. And now we have a third organisation that's representing accredited Pilates professionals. And my view is that we need to pull together as a team. It's not in our interest to be divided in any way. We really need to be one voice and working together. We're so much stronger together than we are in separate little camps.
0: It's going to be great to get that alignment. And I think it's going to make a significant difference to how Pilates is viewed and respected across the board.
1: We often get asked the question about whether we want to be allied health professionals. And we have looked at it quite a number of times. One of the issues is that it takes a long time for your profession to be recognised as allied health. Paramedics have just recently achieved that status, but it took them 10 years to get there. One of the requirements is that you need to have a university course, which we did have at one stage when Dr. Penny Lady was teaching at UTS. My view at the moment is we're more of a vocational training discipline, and I can't really see that a university course at the moment is the right way to go but it is one of the things that we will continue to address if there is a time that it is an appropriate way to go. But I think most people don't realise what's involved in that, and it is a huge undertaking to get that recognition.
0: Personally, having done a university-based sports science degree and then transitioning into Pilates myself, as much as we did run, jump and throw in our sports science degree, the practical nature of Pilates, I think, fits really well into the vet sector where the vocational education and training nature of hands-on practice is so important for becoming a quality Pilates teacher. I think the theoretical side of Pilates needs to be paired with that practical, of course. And coming back to that fragmented conversation, Robin, the consideration is other industries. I know one for sure is the massage industry has in the past been quite fragmented with its industry body. So I think that's a consideration of how we pursue achieving that single peak body status that can help the Pilates industry come together.
1: Yeah, we'll continue to work on that.
0: And a shout out to the members and the listeners of the podcast. If you have some input and feedback that resonates as we talk through this conversation with Robin as the president of the PAA, I completely welcome your input and feedback. Robin, many leaders that I've spoken to in the past have certain personal traits that often work in their favour to achieve new levels of success in any organisation. Can you explain some of your personal strategies or standards that help you get the best out of people and team performance?
1: One of my views is that whenever I recruit anyone, I want them to be better than I am. In my Pilates studio, when I recruit a Pilates instructor, I want them to be better instructor than I am. What that does is it improves the quality of my studio. If I only ever recruit anyone who's not as good as I am because my ego, the standard of my studio has to go down. So by always recruiting better, it constantly improves the quality of the teachers in my studio. I think the same applies to the committee of the Pilates Alliance. We have an amazing team on the committee. Everyone brings a different perspective and I really value everything that they contribute. It is a volunteer job and people put in a huge amount of time and I really appreciate that. I'm a big fan of a book called Six Thinking Hats, which is a De Bono book, which talks about there being six different ways of thinking and each of the hats is a colour. What each one of those does is it brings a different sort of thinking to the table. The black hat is someone who will point out the obstacles to things that we might be doing. And I know that some people think, oh, that's a really negative one, but it's so important that we are aware of obstacles. I'm a yellow hat person, which is very optimistic. So I think anything is possible. And I really need people on my team to go, "Uh, maybe not so possible. And I give a sailing analogy on this one. Imagine I'm the skipper of a sailing boat. I'm about to take off, got all my sails up and someone goes, oh, the anchor's still down. Well, I can then make a decision. Do I keep going with the anchor down and just drag it? Or do I stop and pull it up? Having different Modes of thinking, I think are really important. And I do have lots of different modes of thinking on the committee at the moment. And I think we're going to achieve some great stuff. One of the other things is I often get asked, why should someone join the association? They say, it costs $360. What do I get out of it? When we had health fund rebates, I think people saw that there was some value in joining. But for me, it's not always about money. Because I think Setting standards, you can't actually put a monetary value on that. And that's an industry body. That's what we're trying to do is raise the standards and make sure that the standards are adhered to. And how do you put a price on that? And I guess I extend that to my staff. It's not just about money. There are a whole heap of other things that are important about quality of life when you're working. With the association, another example that I would give of that is when I was compiling the research for the Natural Therapies Review. I could have paid someone to do that research, but I chose to actually do it myself, which saved a huge amount of money for the Pilates Association. A lot of the other natural therapies that have been reviewed paid people to compile the research. I wanted to do it myself because, one, it would save money for us. And secondly, it meant that I learned a lot in the process of doing it. So if we get our health fund rebates back, I'm sure that there will be people who will go back to joining the association All of that work that went on before it, they haven't supported it. So it's like, what's in it for me? If there's nothing in it for me, then I'm not going to do it. I personally find that really difficult attitude to deal with.
0: I think it's an important point to bring forward. The financial returns of teaching Pilates in reality, probably never going to be a millionaire. But in the same breath, we all need to earn a living if it's your main income. So striking that fine balance and managing that, uh, each of us as Pilates teachers in the industry, I hear you loud and clear. Moving forward as a collective and working on a common objective as a Pilates industry, as we all contribute to it, I think is one of the key things for it to improve the cohesiveness of the collective.
1: I totally agree. And Bruce, often I will get questions from people saying, why should I go and do a diploma in Pilates? I can make a lot more money running group reformer classes or group math classes. And I say, yes, you can. There is no doubt that is a more effective way to make money. But there's also a level of reward that comes from teaching the entire repertoire on all of the studio equipment. I'm not going to put someone down because they choose to take that financial road. That's their choice. But I do not think that the emotional rewards are as great as you get teaching on the studio equipment. And as I say, it's really hard to put a price
0: on that. Striking a happy balance, I think, is crucial for us all. Robin, you've had a range of experiences in Pilates beyond Australia's shores with your time spent in Florida training with Lolita San Miguel, as we mentioned earlier, no doubt amongst many other Pilates events. What are some of the learnings you've taken from those experiences that will help steer where you hope the Pilates industry can develop here in Australia?
1: The thing that I really take away from having been in Florida with Lolita is that we are all together in the same boat. We are all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to help people. And it comes back to our earlier conversation about being fragmented. We've got such a wonderful product to offer. Like I feel like I have a magic wand and that I can wave that and it's called Pilates.
0: It's a great gift to be able to share with all of our wonderful clients.
1: At some point someone is probably going to work out what it is about Pilates that makes it so amazing. I'm hoping it's going to be a little bit like tomatoes. You know, they say that having tomatoes reduces your chance of getting cancer, but when they extract the individual components of a tomato and give them to you individually, it doesn't reduce your chance of getting cancer. So there's something about the whole tomato, altogether with all the chemical reactions that are going in it that work. And so I don't know that anyone would ever be able to tease out what it is about Pilates that makes it so special. But I think once you've felt it in your body, you just don't have any choice but to keep doing it.
0: It's about striking that balance between the art and the science of Pilates, I think, always. In terms of the international conversation, like I touched on, Robin, the point of having exposure to an ever-expanding network internationally, I think, is an important thing. When I first left Australia as a 22-year-old, it was an eye-opener because I didn't realise there was this whole wide world out there. Potentially in Australia, we can get stuck in a bit of a bubble. So I think it's really crucial that we keep using the network that we have here in Australia through the PAA to expand our relations with international bodies as well.
1: Yeah, before I joined the PAA committee, I was a little bit insular. I just worked in my own little bubble a lot of the time. That's been one thing that I've really enjoyed, getting to know more Pilates instructors around the world. I went to London two years ago to study Garuda with James De Silva. And on the other side of the world, seeing what people are doing, I still just feel like we are part of one big family. It doesn't really matter where we come from, where we've studied. We're all just trying to do this thing that will make the world a better place, which was Joseph Pilates' goal. He used to say that if everyone did Pilates, we would have no wars because we'd all be so happy and cohesive that we wouldn't want to fight with each other.
0: So we should at least do that in our industry. Elevating the spirit at the very essence of it, making such a difference to each of our individual lives. Robin, given the nature of how universally applicable Pilates has become and on the back of this open-mindedness that international conversations often nurture, what role do you hope the PAA can play in helping to improve both the physical and the mental health and wellbeing of our communities over the coming years of your presidency?
1: To me, it's a given that Pilates does those things that actually improves the physical and mental health and well-being of communities. So what I want to do is get it out to more people, promote it more.
0: Many, many projects to work on. Thanks so much for your time on the call today. Again, for the listeners to the podcast and members of the PAA, thank you for tuning in and we welcome your feedback and contribution to the PAA, whether it be in a small subcommittee role perhaps, or even feedback. We always love to hear that and can get to work on it through the committee's decisions and actions. Robin, been wonderful chatting with you today. We Wish you well in your term as the president and very much look forward to regular conversations on the podcast.
1: It's been a pleasure. See ya.